if we assume a problem to be like a multi-sided object, like a cube or something like that, and I only have a team of folks with my background, more likely than not, we're only going to see a quarter of the cube just because of how we look at the world. So you need to be cognizant of finding some equilibrium with like the technical and functional requirements that you're going to need to be able to do in the business and the need for sort of a variety and diverse sort of points of view on like what is fact and what is right. What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Breakline Arena. We are so grateful that you are here. The Breakline Arena is a space that welcomes changemakers, hustlers, and leaders in the tech industry to share their journeys and passions and insights. We are hosted by Breakline Education, which serves to help top performers from underselected backgrounds land new and exciting roles in the tech industry. If you're a person of color or a veteran or a woman, there's info in the show notes about how to join our community. Now let's dive into the arena for today's special guest. Well, welcome to the Breakline Arena, everyone. My name is Sam Combs. I'm the Director of Sales here at Breakline Education. I could not be more fired up for today's discussion. Over the past 18 months at Breakline, one of the things that's been so interesting is the amount of excitement around the defense tech space, both from our partner network, from the communities that we're supporting, the job seekers and candidates that are coming through the Breakline program. There's been this absolute fire around defense tech in terms of technologies being fielded, jobs, people getting hired, growth in the industry. And so today, what we wanted to do was really dig deep and kind of talk all things defense tech. And to do that, wanted to bring in someone who knows it better than anyone, an absolute force in the defense tech space, so the CEO of Second Front Systems, Tyler Sweat. Tyler, cannot thank you enough for taking time to uh, to join us today. Couldn't be more excited to be here to talk about an awesome topic, but also with an unbelievable organization. It's doing a ton for the community, loved Breakline Mission, and benefited from it corporately. So happy to be able to hopefully contribute a little bit of value into all the important work you guys are doing over there. I love that. Yeah, I was I was reflecting ahead of this conversation. It's a bit of a full circle one. I mean, we, you and I, I think, met, gosh, it was like four years ago in DC. It was like a small AI and government conference. There was only a handful of folks, but there was a, a few movers and shakers in the defense innovation space and had a chance to connect there for the first time. So it's cool to be able to have this discussion four years down the road at different points in our career. It's also funny. It was a little before AI had started to become cool in defense. Right. Yeah, definitely. You can go look at who was in that room. A lot of them are doing interesting stuff now. It's Um, so true. Yeah. People that they had an eye for it before it was all the rage and they knew what it was going to be and they knew what it was going to become. And they were helping guide the department and guide the national security ecosystem towards the promised land and towards what right looks like. And so, yeah, it was it is cool to reflect on who was in that room. I would love to dive right in. I know we're going to dig through a handful of topics. We're going to talk defense tech broadly. We're going to talk second front and the, the incredible work that, that your team is doing. We're going to talk about team building and, and how you all are thinking about building a high-performing, diverse team. But before we get there, I, I'd love to start more personal. Hear your story and your career story. It, it yeah. mirrors a lot of what we see across Breakline. You know, you you were in the Army. You graduated from West Point. You spent a, f- a few years in the service before deciding to make a transition out into industry. And would love to learn more about what that transition was like, what that professional journey was like through your lens, you know, successes, challenges, lessons learned. I'm sure there's there's (laughs) always a story behind it. Yeah. 
So I was the year group 05 army officer. My whole time active duty predominantly spent in northeastern Afghanistan. There was an interesting time to be yeah. sort of down at the the tactical level. There's a lot of a lot of stuff going on. So got to learn. I got the full breadth of experience of the, you know, leading soldiers in combat down yeah. at sort of very small levels with a whole bunch of operational control as like a 22 year old. It took me a while to reconcile like that experience with the reality of the world. And like mm-hmm. while deployed with a singular purpose with like really, really strong unity of command and span of control transitioned, you know, three or four years later, got into the commercial world, admittedly struggled with what I think a lot of folks struggle with, which is sort of that identity and that sense of purpose and that fit. And, you know, not sort of like a a human level, an emotional level, and also just as a, hey, what role do I play? How do I sort of fit into this? Because it had been, you know, four years at the academy, five years in service, three and change that I was deployed, didn't really have the internet, didn't really have cell phones missed a lot of like the world spinning. So there's a little bit of like a reintegration period that was a little, maybe a little more turbulent than I wanted it to be. I think the thing looking back that now I tell everybody transitioning that I didn't fully appreciate was, hey, you don't have to know what you want to do next. What you need to be able to do is identify ways you can move forward and either learn more or build more relationships or get a better vantage point sort of on an industry or a market. Like once I sort of figured out the re-entry, I started looking at opportunities that would afford me ways to get new experiences, to meet new people, or to better understand sort of the mechanics of like industry A or industry B. And that ended up helping me sort of figure out exactly what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it and like refine some of my corporate philosophies. Absent that, I was of the mindset that, hey, I can't leave my first job, even if it's terrible in a year, I'm going to be viewed as a flight risk. And if I'm a flight risk, I'm not going to get another job. And in hindsight, that was pretty terrible advice that somebody gave me. Well-intentioned, but not the best. Yeah. it's. I mean, I think it's such good advice because I think, you know, whether you're transitioning from the military where you've had a really defined career path, or even if you're not a service member, even if you're just in a different industry and thinking about making a career pivot, you maybe have had a defined understanding of, you know, this is what my career path looks like. This is how I go from point A to point B to point C. And when you make that transition, it's easy to get caught up in, I need to reestablish that in my new space. But in reality, like to your point, it's it's really just about forward progress. It's it's about, can you find something that tees up more opportunities, helps you grow professionally, develop professionally, expands your professional network? To your point, there is a vertical aspect in certain industries where you want that sort of vertical depth, that subject matter expertise. I think there's also an understanding, and this is where I think a lot of service members bring a really unique capability, sort of that more horizontal integration and understanding and appreciation for how different sort of functional entities can collaborate together, aligned against a shared objective or a common objective. There's magic in there, right? So even now, like when I go higher, there are some roles where I'm like, hey, I need vertical depth because of one, two, or three. There are a whole bunch where I'm essentially looking for functional parity or a like demonstrated acumen to learn something and go. And we've been tremendously successful with that. 
You just got to keep it in balance. Yeah, that's right. It is a balancing act. But I think this idea, I mean, at Breakline, we think of it as excellence is transferable. This idea that if you've performed exceptionally well, even if it's outside of the domain that you're trying to move into, if you have that track record of performance, you can operate cross-functionally. It's an awesome leading indicator of what future success looks like in a new role. 100%. And I mean, you look at, I think there's this common misconception that the military is one giant checklist and everyone's just like roboting their way through every day. And I mean, admittedly, like my latency with service is, you know, well over a decade since I transitioned, but I had found it to be the complete opposite. And like, show me a JO or senior NCO, like they understand that, Hey, there, there's a checklist and there's sort of rules that have to be adhered to. There's a box, so to speak. But the comfort with ambiguity and incomplete pictures and incomplete data and the ability to sort of unify around, you know, maybe sort of a shared vision or a shared objective and an understanding to go execute on that and to build and inspire followership. I don't think you see it scale in other industries. And it's an awesome skill that we continue to hire for. I love that. When you made the transition out of the service, were you immediately drawn to the defense tech space or did you have kind of an intermediary jump where it was like, I want to get as far away from the from national or the yeah. DOD as possible before kind of realizing that might be long term for me? So my first job right out, I went to like a big box consulting firm into their federal team, into a program that had some parallels with what I was doing in the service. And that mainly was because I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I didn't know how to figure out what I wanted to do, except for showing up at job fairs. And like we had a kid on the way, had a kid, like had a mortgage payment. So I was like, I can consult. This will be fine. A year and four months later, because I didn't want to leave after, you know, or before the first year and be perceived as a flight risk moved into a firm that sort of afforded me the opportunity to have a degree of permeability between sort of pub sec, defense focused and regulated industry focus and spent, you know, seven years sort of building a practice around emerging technology and security. And half of that was sort of defense and national security. Half of that was pharmaceuticals and fintech and healthcare and all of that. And I think the The reason I loved it and learned so much about that was they're all sort of the same. And like organizations at like some scale are all having the same problems. They will call them something different. And maybe there's like a little bit different compliance regime, industry by industry. Everybody's effectively struggling with the same things at, you know, some scale. And that was really interesting. I think made me better positioned to come back like full bore into defense tech. Yeah. And so what was, because sometimes, you know, we hear it across the breakline community, whether it's it's veterans, whether it's people coming from other industries, you know, there can be some questions that they want to have answered around going into the defense tech space, whether that's, you know, I don't know if I don't have the background or the experience. And so am I a strong fit for defense tech or I'm trying to move away from the defense space. I'm leaving the military to leave the military. I don't want to still be adjacent. What was your draw? Like, what was the piece that got you excited to say, like, this is where I'm going to build my career is in this space? Great framing of the question. I think it is a little bit of a mix. For me, like, I want stuff to matter. 
I want like whatever I'm going to pour into to matter. Could I have taken the portfolio I was running and turned it into, you know, going to do sort of like corporate development and buyouts and regulated industries and stuff like that? I think, you know, absolutely. Could I have taken that and spun the other way and come full board back into national security? Yeah. For me, it was, you know, even though I had sort of transitioned out, I had either my soldiers or my friends or still in, still sort of in the fight. So there's a degree of wanting to continue to contribute. And then, I mean, selfishly, like I've got two young sons, I'm not young anymore, but I've got two sons, they're going to have kids. And there's an aspect of sort of like pres- the preservation of American exceptionalism, as dumb as that sounds, mm-hmm. you know, it feels like a, a lapel pin. Like <laughs> if we get some of this stuff right at scale, like it's really going to matter yep. for the future of the free world. So there's that from a, if you're going to fit or not from like a skill set, I think that is, and this is something I know break lineups with, but like, as people are looking at organizations, every organization at sort of a high enough level has two functions and two functions only, right? It is value creation and value protection. So think of that as like the corporate ledger from an organizational chart. So value protection, you've got legal and you've got finance and you've got HR and you've got operations and you've got, you know, that whole slew. Value creation, you've got people who are building, people who are selling, people who are marketing, right? Different career paths, 100 different jobs sort of underneath that, that sort of balance sheet lattice. If folks at least understand sort of what side of that they're interested in, there's all sorts of opportunity to come in and learn. If they're unsure of what that is, I think one of the gigs, especially in tech, that the veteran community is really uniquely positioned for is that chief of staff role to help really understand and integrate and maybe harmonize kind of both sides of that corporate balance sheet. And then you get to see, to my earlier point, all of the different sort of BUs or functional teams and understand how it works and then make a decision of like, what do you want to dive down into? Or do you want to use that? and continue to sort of run an op side and try to move up into like a COO role. There's all sorts of optionality there. I love that. Yeah. And I think the framing that you were talking about, which is the industry generally that we've seen resonate a lot across the breakline community is this interplay between working on a mission that matters, right? Having a mission that truly matters and there's real stakes and having being able to invest your time and your work into a mission that that really feels like you're you're moving the needle in a positive way. Yeah. That intersecting with working on technical challenges or go-to-market challenges that are really, really hard, but fun, right? And it's like this intersection of technical and go-to-market challenges that are difficult, coupled with a mission that matters. It becomes a really compelling prospect for someone thinking about what's next in my career that's been a top performer for years, and they're trying to accelerate into something new. Yeah, I think it, I mean, there's a great sense of fulfillment. Like it is some of the hardest problems in the world right now are being worked on. And I mean, it's also an interesting time in the market, right? Like the cost of capital has gone up. I'm willing to stake, you know, my reputation on the fact that like the next 10 great companies, like, and I mean, generational, like American companies are being built right now in one of the most challenging times to go get capital and build a company. And a bunch of those are in defense. It's, Awesome. Some of the smartest, most passionate people and the diversity of experience and the diversity mm-hmm. of sort of perspective is really, really interesting when you align that around a common objective like national security and you know, specific sort of technical challenges. I don't know if I could ever go somewhere else and be as fulfilled as I am right now in the industry. I love that. 
Well, and that's actually a perfect segue. I'd love to pivot a bit and chat about about Second Front. I mean, we've at Breakline yeah. had the privilege of seeing the incredible work you all are doing, seeing the products that you're bringing to market, the impact that you're having on the space. There's Breakliners on the, the Second Front team. Your VP yeah. of Sales, TJ, is a Breakliner. Absolute generational hire for us. Though. Yeah, <laughs> love that. Would love to hear it all. Tell us more yeah. about you know what you're building, what you're excited about, opportunities on the horizon, all things Second Front. Yeah. So the way I explain sort of what we're doing is if we believe that, you know, to use an old Mark Andreessen, software ate the world. If we believe that software is going to eat national security and defense, and to your point earlier, Sam, the AI revolution is coming for sort of national security and defense, and this whole big push towards defense tech, Second Front's building the piping that allows that all to occur. So how your applications are going to run securely in different classified environments how these pieces of software are going to get built and hardened and stigged, how we're going to be testing sort of functional parity across different domains, across allies and partners. So that whole sort of build test run, we're the lattice that stitches this whole defense tech revolution together. So where we focus all our time is removing friction from commercial software companies that are maybe inclined, maybe thinking about it, but coming to work with the national security community and making it easier for the national security community to access and consume those applications. We're a global defense and national security company. Our CTO, we've recently moved him out to the United Kingdom. Mm -hmm. I'll be there in two weeks for us sort of formally doing a ribbon cutting. Got a huge technical demonstration in Australia later this year. Our hypothesis is the way we will win, whatever comes next, is a global defense and national security software ecosystem that is providing interoperability and integration across our key allies and partners at a foundational technical level and enabling that real-time collaboration in some of the edge scenarios that I think everyone's operationally planning for, but not technically planning for. Right. It's a tremendous opportunity because when you hear about it all the time on the defense side, you know, it's conversations around how do we lower the barrier, maybe not lower, but how do we adjust yeah. the barrier to entry to bring in more software and acquire software in a more agile way on the how do we make working with the government not suck <laughs> right yeah I mean, exactly that's, that's, that's the question yeah but it you what's so interesting look at like a venture community that's pouring tens of billions of dollars in every year and then expect them to go spend two years to achieve you know day one compliance with dod no one's going to go do it that's a bad business decision right Absolutely. I mean, what's so compelling, I think, about Second Front is, you know, there's a policy implication in there. There's a funding and VC implication in there. But the one that, that you're pointing to is one that I, I think I haven't heard it said in such a, a specific way, but it's like this piping challenge, this that undermines kind of everything that they're trying, that we're trying to do as, as yeah. a department, as a country, that if you don't have that foundational layer there, technically, you can have the policy changes that you want. You can have all the funding in the world, but it becomes still a challenge that's really difficult to solve. Yeah. And I mean, for us, if if I do my job right in three to five years where we've got the piping built globally, you might not see our name all the time, right? We mm -hmm. won't be the, hey, we're the next sort of software prime or we are very sort of like big tent or Swiss in our approach. We work with everybody. We want to integrate with everybody. It's a little bit like Hydra. If Hydra wasn't a bad guy in the Marvel movies, we're sort of like <laughs> we're everywhere. But that's the goal. Is that if we can be that technical compliance middleware, it will enable all of the great technical commerce and consumption we're talking about that will absolutely 
transform the relationship between national security and commercial software. And if we've done that, we have set the country up and our allies up for enduring success. Yeah, I think this point that you're making of not only stitching it together across the U.S. or across the U.S. national security system, but doing it across the allied network as well. I mean, that point it has be to be more yeah. prescient than it is today. It has to be. And I mean, I think, you know, most folks coming through break, like anyone who's been downrange and tried to work with any of the allies, I always make the joke, like my most effective piece of kit to communicate with the Brits was a Roshan cell phone. I just <laughs> used my local national cell phone and would call and coordinate because like none of the kit worked. Right. And again, is worth thinking about like what that looks like at scale, right? It's a ton of policy work. It's to your earlier point, there's all sorts of different stakeholders around. And a lot of it, you know, isn't super glamorous, but it is, it's the picks and shovels. It's the pipe. That's right. It's the, it's the lattice required to do everything everybody's talking about. One question that I've been excited to ask you, and it's a, it's a bit of an odd question to ask in your current position as CEO, but you joined Second Front on the go-to-market side. And one of the things that we think about a lot at Breakline is, you know, when you're dealing with smaller startups, there's this talent attraction challenge that smaller startups are always are always working through of, you know, as a smaller organization competing for talent with much larger organizations, you know, what can we do to attract the best and the brightest into our team? And I'm curious, as, as you reflect back a few years ago, as you're considering what's next and you're thinking about all the different options you have to consider was there something that stood out about Second Front in terms of the interview process, the team, the product? Like, what was the magnet for you that drew you into the team and convinced yeah. you to say, like, this is where I'm going to place my bet professionally? It's a really, really good question. I'll give you guys a funny anecdote first. So one of the executives of the company, unfortunately, he passed away. So he's not listening. Mark Butler is one of the founders of the company. To give you an oversight of the interview process at a early stage startup. The first conversation I had with him, he said, oh, this would be cool. Like, I'm excited to work together. When are we going to work together? And I was like, hey, I started two weeks ago. So to get, it was not the interview process that drew me in. It was really the vision and the conviction that Enrique had. When Enrique Odi had left Kessel Run, had just retired from a tremendous career in the Air Force. And he called me up and I'll sit on my deck drinking a beer. He said, hey, I think I figured out a way to solve this problem. Look, we argued about it for a half an hour. I told him I didn't think it was possible. And then he sort of said, well, what if it is? And then we went down a rabbit hole. I'm like, holy cow, if we get this even half right. We moved the industry and the community so much further ahead, faster than either of us could have done in individual capacity or in uniform or any of that. And... I said, all right, I'm in. I started the next day. I forgot to tell my wife. She yelled at me a week later. She was like, what the <laughs> hell is second front? I thought you were going to this other company. And the rest is history. You know, from a talent acquisition standpoint, we're at a spot now where like it's, it's formalized and it's super professional. And we've got had director of talent acquisition that governs an awesome process. But at its core, you are going to go find people you want to work with. You're going to find people who are passionate, who want to learn, who want to be part of a team. And most of our early recruiting was a series of conversations and you build conviction. And if you've got that sort of philosophical alignment and you can get some of the programmatics to line up, like there's always a numbers thing here, but we found it to be not problematic in recruiting folks. We've actually found the opposite. We found tremendous. Now we're the benefactor of just a bunch of buzz. So it's great. It's actually overwhelming on the other side. 
But in the beginning, like once folks figured out what we were really working on, I think there were a lot of people who were like, hey, this would be really neat to be a part of building something like this early. Yeah, it resonates a ton because I mean, we see this across our own network where you have small startups and they're asking, you know, how can we compete for talent against larger organizations that everyone knows their brand, right? And I mean, this the point in, in your own story that you raised is mission matters. Like being able to tell a story about why this mission is going to be so impactful, so meaningful for so many people, at least in the Breakline Network that are high performers, they really are thinking about what can I do professionally that is going to have an impact and is going to leave a mark and is going to be meaningful. And so I think being able to sell that mission and have a compelling story around it, really, it's super impactful as startups are thinking about building teams early. Absolutely. I think it's it's big on the mission and the impact and also the team, right? Like, you start to sort of build like this like centrifugal force around the organization as you're bringing on folks and folks are seeing how the organization evolves and adapts and interacts with itself and the industry and partners and sort of all of that. And people want to go be part of a good team. That's like that's right. executing high quality work, right? Like there's something around, Hey, like it's a privilege to work at an awesome startup. Like it's not something you're owed. And that privilege is something that's earned and that's maintained. And I think that philosophically helps create a drag for real high quality talent as well. Right. Like you said, it has its own attraction to it. It's an attraction component that's pulling folks in into the process just because they want to be part of not just what you're building, but who you're building it with. Yeah, that's exactly it. We'll be part of the team. That's right. So, and that's actually another, another really good segue to I wanted to get into a conversation around team building. And you and I have talked about this briefly, but I'm looking forward to digging in a little bit more. We talk at Breakline about this idea of effects-based hiring. This riff, if you've been in the military, you've heard effects-based operations, this idea that rather than specific requirements or specific capabilities, you need to think about the outcome. What is the outcome you're trying to achieve, the effect you're trying to achieve? And we think it's a really compelling analogy or analog for hiring to think about, you know, it's not just a strict checklist of skills and requirements, but think about what's the outcome or the effect I want to achieve with this new role, this new hire. And can someone who has skills or a background that maybe is a bit different than what I'm anticipating come in and deliver outsized results against that outcome? And so I'm curious to just get your reaction to that. Does that resonate? Does it align with how you all are thinking and and seeing success with hiring? Yeah, it does. I'll juxtapose that with a lot of what I'm working on right now is sort of building the organizational lattice that will allow us to scale. So some of the tenants like span of control or the rule of four that I think a bunch of folks who served will understand. We've been looking at a lot of that. So putting that like a corporate governance layer in an organizational manner in place and then understanding, okay, if I'm hiring for like a functional control point, hey, there's an outcome And there's, you know, maybe we've got like a loose kind of archetype of what it looks like. And then, yeah, there's an art and a science to hiring. Admittedly, I don't think anybody has it perfect. We make mistakes, we make bad hires, but we're not predisposed to, hey, your resume has to look exactly like this, right? Like our lead sales rep a year and a half ago was in uniform, had never done technology, had never done software. To your point, like our VP of sales, had never done defense tech, had never done defense sales before that. Our head of partnerships had never been in defense tech. Was it a completely disconnected world? You know, there's parallels with software and stuff like that, but it got down to like 
getting someone on the team that could help you to your point, drive at the outcome and could learn and adapt and help build. And that'll change over time, right? That's not, it's like a linear philosophy on hiring as the company continues to mature, the way you hire and the way you think about team building will start to change and you'll have less of the, Hey, all right, like we're sort of winging it and it gets into kind of like the blocking and tackling where I need functional delivery at scale. But it's absolutely a mashup of both of those. Definitely. And what we found is, I mean, the examples you just gave around the VP of sales, the head of partnerships, we found that it oftentimes, like if you can pull in individuals that you know have a track record of performance that are coming from, they have a diverse set of experiences, it can redefine what excellence or what the outcome that you thought was possible could be. Oh, yeah. like it, it can absolutely. redefine what normal is because they're coming in without a preconceived idea of how to do the specific thing and are coming in not as a blank slate. They have a background and skills that they can draw on to be successful, but they're coming in and thinking creatively about how to get at a problem in a way that maybe isn't being done in that way currently. Yeah. I think there's a bi-directional learning. If you're hiring and you're doing talent acquisition and team building the right way, the organization is essentially adding new DNA as it goes. The organization should be adapting. And if you're creating that space as a leader to enable those good ideas, those new expectations, new ways of doing it to kind of come up and then ultimately get operationalized or institutionalized, I think that's sort of that human capital flywheel that's pretty magical. And we've seen it in a number of different configurations, you know, on the technical side, on the non-technical side, where approaches to the market, technical decisions, right? Like our assumptions around certain revenue channels and stuff like that have all been materially transformed through, you know, 10x kind of hires. That's right. I'm curious, to what extent, I mean, as you've thought about it, you've you've done an incredible job at set front of building a diverse team, building a team of individuals that are coming from a diverse set of experiences. What role and and how have you thought about building a diverse team early, kind of from the get-go, from the start of yeah. Second Front? How have you all thought about that? And what type of impact have you seen across the business by committing to it? Yeah. For us, I want experiential and intellectual diversity, right? I want people who see the world different. I want people whose understanding of core philosophies were built through different experiences, different exposure. I think there's magic in friction. I think that, I mean, to make a science joke, right? Like that's where energy comes from. But from a critical thinking and problem solving, right? If we assume a problem to be like a multi-sided object, like a cube or something like that, and I only have a team of folks with my background, more likely than not, we're only going to see a quarter of the cube just because of how we look at the world. So you need to be cognizant of finding some equilibrium with like the technical and functional requirements that you're going to need to be able to do in the business and the need for sort of a variety and diverse sort of points of view on like what is fact and what is right. You know, Ray Dalio and like the Bridgewater group back in the day, they were like a little cult-like and fanatical about it, but it was really interesting that like their whole thing was on the pursuit of truth, right? Mm -hmm. They didn't care as much how they got there. Their whole hypothesis was if we know what is true, we can make better decisions. So it's almost like your facts and constraints and assumptions from an MDMP standpoint, but you should be trying to find folks who think differently and put them in a room together. 
We take it one step further at our leadership level and we do behavioral testing. So folks understand how do you think, how do you communicate and how do you consume and where do you assign priorities across things like data and process and people and ideas to make sure that we're enabling folks, we're giving them the tools to more effectively communicate with a diverse sort of stakeholder group. And then also the awareness, both at like a self-aware EQ level and then a team leadership to build that diversity in the team and understand sort of the neuro archetype you're looking for. That's right. Yeah, I love that. I I love the cube analogy. If a problem is a three-dimensional cube, you need a diverse set of experiences to see all sides. Absolutely. We think about that a lot as we think about our own admissions process and kind of the internal process at Breakline. We're thinking about what we call the Breakline bar. We're thinking about not only professional performance and experience, kind of those, the skills side, but then also lived experience, something that's, yes. it doesn't necessarily show up on a resume, but it, yes. it is critically important to thinking about a diverse team and building a diverse team and a diverse set of skills. It's this combination, this interplay between lived experience and professional experience. Oftentimes lived experience gets missed or doesn't get focused on in interviews, but we think it's that that interplay or that combination that is where the magic happens in finding those 10x hires that you're talking about. I could not agree more. And I mean, like, I know my team always just been like, I'm a huge fan of gut too. Like, and I think that's where you can sit down. I haven't necessarily figured out how to do the assessment the right way to bring all of that in. But there's also a sense of when you sit with somebody, you can sort of read them and you get an understanding. And hey, I, can you code or can you do financial? Like there's a functional aspect that's great. I always talk about the intangibles, right? And it's in my younger days, like I was always like, hey, give me a J.O. who's, you know, led a small unit and been in a gunfight. I can teach him anything. But what you're actually getting at, right? The more mature perspective there is, Hey, show me folks who are quick to learn, who are critical thinkers, who are synced communicators, who can inspire followership and who don't require, you know, the full board to be illuminated in order to start playing the game. If you can give me those intangibles, I can teach you anything. That's Absolutely right. anything. Yeah, let's go one layer It's just deeper. assessing against those is the challenge, right? Like it's actually tough. getting to them. Yeah. But it's going that one level deeper beyond just the bullet points on a job description and saying, what's behind this bullet point? What is it that you actually are are solving for when you're saying project management experience or whatever it might be? There's skills behind that that are built in other domains, but are just as that that domain is just as applicable or the skill development there is just as applicable. So, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's transferability of both lived experience and sort of professional experience and understanding. The utility of that, being able to spot it, and then the individual understanding that like, there's also a burden here, a responsibility on the individual for them to understand and be able to articulate that and tell that story. Because if you can come to me and talk about the transferability of all this life experience, I am very interested in that conversation. If that's I have right. to go find it and tell you, that's going to flag some other stuff for me. I'm like, hey, okay, are you not seeing this? Does this not make sense? So that's where... Like being your own champion and telling your own story, which is hard. It's not something I like to do. It's not something anybody likes to do. Like really putting yourself out there and advocating for yourself, but tell your story because there's a That's ton right. of transferability. It is. Yeah. I mean, effective interviewing, making a career transition from government, from another industry, there's such a huge storytelling component to it of how do you tell your story in a way that not only resonates, but makes sense to a hiring manager, to a recruiter. So they're not having to do the translation on your behalf, that yep. you're 
you're meeting them where they are and positioning your background in a way that is relevant to that role that you're discussing. And I mean, you're building that relationship at a sort of emotional level as well, which especially in sort of early stage startup, people are hiring people that they're like, yeah, I'd want to work with them. They'd be great on the team. So build that early sort of trust in. That's right. Tyler, I can't thank you enough again for taking time today. It's been really, really fun to kind of see this arc across your personal experience, making a career transition, then talking second front, the incredible work you all are are doing, the team you're building, and then talking team building more specific. I just wanted to give you a chance to close it out. What's getting you excited? What you're fired up for today as you think about the next 12 months, 18 months at second front, more broadly across the industry. would love to just hear your thoughts as we close out the conversation. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll sort of return the favor and thank you for the opportunity to participate in the platform to contribute back into the community. Like I said, you've seen throughout the career, huge supporters, love what you guys are doing and stand by, stand willing to help however we can. From sort of a what's got me excited, I make a joke a lot that, hey, defense tech is like the new crypto. Everybody's interested in it. It's like the cool thing to be doing. All of the other sort of stuff, you know, crypto and Web3 and blockchain, and like, they're all sort of like episodic fads. And this is like a little bit of self-interest and I recognize it, but the timing on the fad around defense tech with our mission to sort of build the lattice and the piping beneath it, I think I'm excited because I, I may be cautiously optimistic that the timing is there for us to catch that in a piping and actually enable that capital influx to deploy and translate into value for the community in a way where defense tech might not be a fad. And this could be a new normal where there's material private capital investment and there's new entrance into the market and there's new technologies and more competition because all of that leads to a better positioned you know, constitutional republic in the future and, you know, our allies and partners. So I'm super excited about that. And honestly, I'm just, everywhere I turn around, there's like another cool company that's coming into defense. I think the fact that we've made it an accessible place for a community that for a while was pretty anti what we had going on. So I'm optimistic around that. Famous last words, probably, but we'll see. (laughs) We don't think so. We're we're seeing the same momentum and the same excitement and believe that, you know, it's far from a fad. It's something that's enduring. And it's really exciting to see companies like Second Front that are are building a big tent and building incredible teams as you do it. And so, Tyler, thanks again. This has been an awesome conversation. And thanks, brother. I'm looking forward to making it public. Heck yeah. Likewise. Thank you guys so much for joining us for another episode of the Breakline Arena. We're hoping that you're walking away feeling a little moved, a little inspired. And if you really had a good time, feel free to head on over, rate, subscribe, leave us a review. It does help us spread the good word, keeps these good vibes rolling. Yes, we would love to hear from you. Thanks again, and we will see you next time.